Good evening and welcome to Shattered Lives, a lively, educational, and issues-driven radio show designed to tell another side of the story, to focus on and humanize crime victims, to enlighten and shine the spotlight on organizations and service providers, and to assist those who walk the path with us. This is Donna Argor, a.k.a. Lady Justice, your host, with my co-host, Delilah Jones, president of ImaginePublicity.com, welcoming you this Saturday and every Saturday for education, awareness, and enlightenment regarding uh, stories uh, revolving primarily around the aftermath of crime. And um, this Saturday, we have a very special guest for you, uh, Connecticut homegrown story, and unfortunately, uh, another story of tragedy, um, you know, we have things such as Sandy Hook that we've dealt with and man, many other things. And this, although maybe on a smaller scale, but it is, it is no less devastating. And tonight we're, we're honoring um, a 10-year anniversary of um, a tragedy that happened that had affected many, many people and still do because this is, happens on a very popular commuter road uh, regarding uh, uh, Avon Mountain. And uh, so we, I'm very pleased to have um, connected with Mark Robinson, our guest, who is an author and also one of the survivors of this uh, tragedy and who had the, the skills uh, to write a book focusing on those victims. So I will bring Mark in in just a brief minute. And I want to say um, hello uh, to Delilah and uh, and welcome to today's show, and I hope you are well, and uh, what's going on today? Oh, I'm doing great, Donna. It's another Saturday that we're here, and it's always good to be um, on air and and have such a great guest that you always bring on, and this one is definitely in that category as well. And um, I, th- I think the listeners will be very interested to hear um, not only this, but... Um, about the aftermath, about how how victims and their families have dealt with this over the years, and like you say, it it is a tenth year anniversary. So, interested in hearing what has happened and what's transpired over the last ten years. Right, right, and uh, like I say, we're we're. I just want to make the point also that although this is a another tragedy for Connecticut. Um, this kind of thing can happen anywhere and has happened. If we just look at our states and the way our roads are, are designed and the way people drive and whatever. So this kind of thing has happened and it just, I think, created a perfect storm So to, for tragedy. So without further ado, wanted to um, let all of our audience and, and welcome our, our audience, whether it be local or national, to this show. And uh, Mark Robinson... Uh, is a is a person who uh, has built a career in communications. He's an internal communications director with with ING in uh, Windsor, Connecticut, right down the road from where I work. As a matter of fact, and it's just happenstance that I met him. So I want to say um, hi to Mark and, and thank you so much for being on Shattered Lives. It's a it's a pleasure to have you, and I think you fit very well with our mission. And um, Dog in the background too. <laughs> yeah. Um, hi Donna and hi Delilah. That's that's Gracie. She wants a little airtime too. So uh, she's oh. trying to. 
Well, thank okay. you for having me. I, I really appreciate you uh, inviting me on the show. I'm uh, honored to be, a, to be a guest. Thank you. It's our pleasure. And um, I say I, I just really want to uh, let people know that um, this, is, this is something that is near and dear to our hearts. And um, I sense that, that you, are, in reading the book and in, in having communications with you, uh, that you are very honored to kind of lead the church to be the spokesperson for the for what happened and 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 the involvement of this book and whatnot. Um, what, can you tell us a little bit about what what uh, how how this transpired that you 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 came to do this in the first place? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, you know, uh, it was uh, it's it's hard to articulate exactly. Um, what drove me, but um, I, I, uh, you know, I don't remember the crash. I was in the front row. Um, you know, I, I, I got hurt. Um, I woke up in the hospital and literally said, "What happened?" And um, uh, you know, I, I knew it was something bad. And um, and my family was initially uh, a little reluctant to, to to tell me all the details because they just didn't want me to, you know, focus on on such a horrible thing while I was still recovering myself, but I repeatedly kept asking the question, uh, apparently, uh, was anyone killed? And, um, and finally, my wife did um, let me know what happened. And, um, and, and, I was, and then the next day I saw the, or actually I think it was a couple days later, I saw the, the day after coverage in the Hartford Current and saw my car um, very prominently featured just in front of the commuter bus that was also hit. Between my car and the commuter bus was another car that had that was totally overturned. It was on its roof, and I was fixated on who's in that car and and what happened to that person. And 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 as it turns out, that Chip Stotler was in that car. And and as I started to know, find out more about the details of these people, I just felt this overwhelming drive that I have to I have to write about this story. I have a background. I, I started out after college, you know, working for some small town newspapers. So I have a little bit of journalism background. I've been in corporate communications mostly. Um, and um, I just, for whatever reason, I, I just felt a very strong drive to um, to start writing a book about it. So that that, that was the initial uh, start of this project. Did, did you think that when you, you um, felt that way, you know, from the get-go being in the hospital, did that somehow help help your recovery to say this is my mission and I need to help the other survivors? Absolutely. I, I have no doubt uh, that the process of of uh, researching and, and, and figuring out how to how to go about this project was cathartic for me. I think uh, everyone responds differently and reacts differently to you know uh, events in their life. Um, uh, for me I, I, I you know in fact I know one person I because I, I one of my initial challenges was to identify people who, who were at the scene so I could interview them. And um, and uh, Avon police were very helpful uh, in 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 uh, you know providing some some uh, some sources. But I like, for instance, one particular uh, gentleman who was um, who was in the crash uh, was just so traumatized by what he saw that um, apparently many years after the crash he was still in therapy and. Uh, so that's one example of how, you know, people respond and, and, and deal with, you know, a tragedy such as this. And for me, I, I know by, by really focusing on 
telling the story and trying to honor the the, uh, the people who died and their families and the rescuers that 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 as you said that did become my mission and and I think having that um, just sort of front and center in my life helped me get through the whole thing myself. Yeah, well, I I think that would I would probably react in the same way. We're kind of cut from the same cloth with respect to that. And before we actually get into describing and whatnot to to let the audience know actually what happened, um, do you feel that that this book that you wrote is one of the few that focus on the uh, victimology in in the genre of 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 books? Uh, versus, you know, just describing chapter and verse the sort of blood and guts and gore and the perpetrator. Are there very many books that take take up the charge of trying to reconstruct and primarily focus on the victimology? No, that's a good question. Um and, and I really I don't know the answer. I, I do know that um when I outline what I was thinking about as far as how I would write this book, I you know, I have friends it would with, with communication backgrounds, journalism backgrounds, so I was bouncing ideas off of them. And and these are people who are very good at their jobs, and, and I got all different kinds of reactions. One person who I respect very much said, you can't do that. You're going to have um, your the, the point of view is going to be too too watered down if you try to do too much. Um, and I, I, I took that, that, that advice very seriously, and I really thought about it. But I, I just, as I started the process of actually outlining and then writing, I just could not imagine writing this book without telling the story of each of the people who died. I mean, they're all good people. Um, it just seemed like it, uh, it, it just, it was, I just had this overwhelming drive to make sure everyone's story was told. And um, I'm really glad I did that uh, because, um, I, and I've said this many times um, since the book came out, but you really cannot understand the depth of the tragedy of Avon Mountain, unless you know those five people, and um, and and telling their stories is what really makes this whole story um, real, and 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 again gives I think I hope gives the reader an appreciation for what a tragedy this has been. Right, and if, could, if you could, for, if you could very briefly, maybe for the benefit of the listeners, give us a background on what happened what? that day. Um, you know what. What happened? The, the, not necessarily all the details of it, but it, as far as um, for someone who doesn't know what it is that we're talking about, we need a little bit of background. Right. Sure. That's what I was just going to say right now. We're, we can get into describing it. Yeah. Uh, so go ahead. I, I, yeah, I'll, I'll give you just a quick summary. Um, it was a it was a beautiful summer day ten years ago, uh, almost to the day, July twenty ninth, two thousand and five. Um, it was the morning commute. Um, the main uh, traffic artery between the Farmington Valley and Hartford is Route 44, which goes over Avon Mountain from Avon into West Hartford and then Hartford. Uh, there's some 23,000 cars a day that travel this, this route. Um, so uh, there's a main intersection at the base of Avon Mountain, and there were 19 vehicles waiting at the stoplight. There's four uh, eastbound lanes. Uh, one turns right towards Farmington, two go up the mountain, and another turns left towards Simsbury. So 19 vehicles were stopped at that light. In the meantime, coming down, coming down the mountain, heading west, was a truck uh, owned by David Wilcox. Uh, as, as, his, his track record as a business owner was horrendous. Uh, uh, he had over 1,100 safety violations. There was a new driver in that truck. Um, he missed the, a, a left-hand turn at the top of the mountain. 
and uh, he may not have realized that when he missed that turn that when he started heading down the mountain, it was not going to be a place for him to turn around. That was level because as it turns out, the trucks on uh, the brakes on the truck uh, were not working. So uh, he missed, misses the left-hand turn, starts heading down the mountain, which initially starts out as a gradual descent, but very quickly gets very steep, reached a speed of about 80 miles an hour, and plowed into all of us at the bottom of the hill. Uh, four people were killed that morning. Uh, another person, the, the uh, driver of the uh, commuter bus, uh, mm-hmm. broke his neck and died uh, after the crash, and uh, 19 of us were were injured, nine of us pretty seriously. Um, so that's the... That's what happened in a nutshell. Yeah, it, it just incredible. So you you're all at the bottom of the mountain waiting at the the traffic light, right? And it just careened into you. Yeah, I, and 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 I, you know, you, when you talk to people, some people saw it coming. Um, I I'm sure I saw it coming, but I, I again I just don't remember it. Uh, it's funny how our bodies react to these kinds of traumas, but. Um, uh, a lot of people did tell tell the story of how they saw it coming, and 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 the thing is, when you're when you're at a train, just you can everyone can imagine being at a crowded intersection, stopped at a red light, you're boxed in. There's nothing you can do. You, you're there's cars all around you, so you don't have the option of trying to get a, out of the way of something that's coming at you. So mm-hmm. we were just frozen there, and 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 the truck. The truck driver, uh, there was there was a, a car waiting at the light coming in the opposite direction. He apparently swerved to his left to avoid that um, car and then cut back sharply to his right. When he cut back, the truck flipped, um, and, and uh, it was fully loaded with all sorts of construction debris, uh, big chunks of concrete foundation, gravel, tree stumps. So all of that was just unleashed upon all the cars uh, sitting there. At a speed of about 80 miles an hour, one one gigantic uh, ch- ch- uh, concrete chunk uh, blasted through my windshield and landed on my passenger seat. So the fact that I'm actually on the phone talking to you right now Ugh. is kind of amazing because uh, I was that close to to uh, to dying. Well, so Mark, how many wow. how many accidents similar to this have happened at that intersection, perhaps before or or after this particular incident? Many, many, many accidents, um, and and the one that's uh, compelling as far as a statistic, um, when you start to get to the broader story of responsibility, is um, that was the, the seventh truck in 21 years to lose its brakes going down that side of the mountain, um, and it wasn't until two years later, so that would be the eighth truck in 23 years. It was September of 07. Another truck lost its brakes, miraculously was able to thread the needle at the bottom of the mountain. And, and and ended up slamming into the furniture store, which at the time was called Nassau's. So it wasn't until that eighth truck in 23 years lost its brakes that the state actually started taking the, the safety issue on that mountain seriously and, and made some uh, serious improvements to the road safety. Right. Yeah, it's just incredible to, to think that it took it took that long. And I know that in doing the research for what I wrote, I mean, there were all kinds of excuses to say that the Highway Safety Commission had recommended changes way back in the 80s. They, there may, there, I believe, weren't there um, suits that they, they tried to implement against the state, but because of sovereign immunity uh, or whatever, they said that that wasn't possible. I mean, there, there are all kinds of things that stood in the way 
for the victims getting justice, either with respect to financially or otherwise, I mean, of your book proceeds. Is that right, Mark? Yeah, there's there the the the, um, the, the families of the people who died have um, you know, in addition to the, the the main horror of losing a loved one, um, they've just been treated very poorly by the authorities, um, very poorly. They they um, can, you, can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, um, Some examples. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, 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 and this gets uh, into some of the, the real details of uh, of some of the what's behind the scenes with this story. But um, the one that the thing that really jumped out at me when I was doing the research um, was the fact that uh, the truck owner David Wilcox had canceled the liability insurance on his truck uh, in January of '05. Our legislators, the Connecticut legislators, had put a, a law into effect in uh, the early 90s. Uh, the law is intended to get uninsured motorists off the road. It means that if you cancel your liability insurance, um, uh, then your, insurers, your insurer is required by law to contact Department of Motor Vehicles, and your registration is suspended, and the local police come and, and you know they look for you. So you're under much greater scrutiny. You're you know sort of red flagged, and um, you know uh, you're. you're the law is going to catch up with you because of that law. However, if you happen to own a fleet of monster trucks, you're off the hook because our legislators wrote in a special loophole for the trucking industry. So David Wilcox canceled that insurance, but he wasn't under that increased scrutiny. His insurer didn't have to notify a Department of Vehicle um, because of that loophole. Um, so he, he cancels the insurance. He, he gets a uh, almost a $40,000 uh, rebate, which he cashed. So he knew he did that, despite what he said at, at trial. And um, and and so he, he has his trucks out there, his fleet of trucks out there uninsured. So uh, it's it, it just it's 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 horrendous when you think about it that that our state legislators put in place this gift to the trucking industry, um, doing a friend uh, doing a big favor for their buddies, their lobbyists in the trucking industry. And I've said to them, so while you were representing those lobbyists in the trucking industry, who was representing those five little girls? In New Hartford, who were three uh, ages three to eight that day, kissed their daddy goodbye and never saw him again. It's outrageous what happened. So um, the money that was available to to the families after the crash was minimal. The, the, the state came in, they liquidate, they finally you know drove Wilcox out of business, liquidated his assets. By the time the lawyers were done with them, there was a relatively small pool of money, four hundred thousand, which was divided up among many more people than just the five families apparently, and. Um, the money that would have been in place if he was properly insured would have been more like five million. Um, and so my contention is always wow, been that that's a huge difference. So if he exactly. had been properly insured, there would have been five million dollars. I believe so. Yes, that was the, the, yeah. So so my my point has always been, um, uh, you know, at the very that truck probably would not have been on the road without that loophole. But if but 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 um, at worst case scenario, at least it would have been properly insured. Um, he wouldn't, uh, because of that law, he probably would have had his trucks insured properly. Uh, but thanks to that loophole, he, he was able to get away with, with being the irresponsible truck owner that he is. And, and, and what I've always said to, to audiences when I talk about this is that in the, in the summer of 07, a bridge in Minneapolis collapsed, killing 13 people. Uh, within one year, the Minnesota legislature acted to take care of those 13 families. Um, so my question has always been, are the people of Minnesota more compassionate and fair-minded than the people of Connecticut? Why haven't our elected state officials done something to help our families, those five families who were so tragically affected by a situation which our state legislators had a strong hand in, in, in contributing to? 
So I, I, I get I get worked I up agree. when I talk about this because it just makes me crazy. They don't even apologize. I, I just they, they, they our, our state legislators have been um, just absolutely shameless in in, in their uh, actions since this crash took place and actually before. And it, 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 I don't know why they get a pass. I don't know why they get a free pass, but they have. They they they, they get away without apologizing. They get away without helping those families. And nobody cares. I, it makes me crazy. Sorry. Well, <laughs> I, you care, and you're doing you're doing your part. And hopefully, by continuing to remind people in book proceeds and wh- whatever else, I mean, there's got to be um, justice in some way. And I I am very embarrassed that that's that's the um, that's the attitude that are, that our state legislators take. You know what? What's more important than human life? And and I'm also embarrassed to say that the rest of the family members also who committed crime, in other words, insurance fraud and and tampering with evidence. Why were they only given probation? Well, this this again gets into some of the nitty gritty of of what happened um, as the. Uh, a very slowly unfolding justice process took place. Making but, deals. Yeah, uh, and 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 that's that's what happened. I mean, it, you know, it, in, in doing a lot of research for this book, I I was really trying to to obviously have a point of view because I was in the crash, so I didn't try to hide that. But uh, you know, I have a little bit of uh, background in in training in journalism, so I was trying to tell the story in as fair a way as I possibly could. And and so when I so when it came to the subject of David Wilcox, the truck owner, I, I really wanted to try to better understand and understand what his deal was because, you know, clearly uh, I could have written the story just where he's just a flat out, you know, uh, black and white evil villain. But I, I really tried very hard to find out more about this guy. And um, so, can you share uh, a little bit what what was his deal? I mean, I know that in the end he had diabetes, and they tried to put a, a bag of all his medications on the the defense table to, to, to have sympathy so that he could get another year in prison, which I think is really sleazy. But, uh, I mean, everyone has problems, but it's still unconscionable. Yeah. Well, he as Bobby Stotler, the mother of Chip Stotler, who was killed in the crash, uh, when, she gave, when she stood before the judge the day of the sentencing to give her statement, she looked over at... Um, uh, that bag, that Ziploc bag that uh, was on the defense table with all of Wilcox's medications and, and said before the crash, she was in perfect health. After the crash, she has a Ziploc bag twice as big with her medication. So, wow. um, That's quite so a that, statement. Yeah, and then she said, and she really turned directly to him and said, you know, you killed my son. And um, that was a pretty powerful moment. Um, you know, just, just the, the, the type of guy, this guy, again, I tried to... to, to find out more about him. Is, is he just simply the bad guy he appears to be? I mean, did he do anything, uh, any redeeming qualities? I mean, does he, did he coach his kids' little league team? Was he involved with the community? Did he do this? Did he do that? I couldn't find a thing. You couldn't every find a I, thing. I could not find a thing, which doesn't mean that a thing doesn't exist, but I couldn't find it. And, and every time I brought up his name with whomever I talked to, I got more stories about what a bad guy he was. I mean, and at some point you just have to say, you know what? He's a bad guy. And, um, wow. Um, that, that's, uh, so you has, tried to be fair. You just couldn't find any redeeming quality in this guy. Well, I, I wasn't yeah. able to, and uh, and I did go to him directly, and 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 tried to to just talk to him directly. And and he was polite the first day I contacted him. I went to his uh, this, uh, his office in Bloomfield and just showed up unannounced. And um, you did, huh? Yeah, and and he was he was 
he was polite, uh, but he said, you know, his lawyer said he can't talk about it, and and that was pretty much the extent of the conversation that day. Um, right. So, uh, but but it, you know, even apparently uh, he was. Uh, someone told me uh, after the 10-year remembrance ceremony the other day that one of the local uh, TV stations tried to interview him, and he was just uh, rude and profane and uh, would have none of it. So. Well, yes. well so, I would ex- I would expect that, you know, but I wondered, can we uh, get into, we've got about 35 minutes of our show, things just fly by when it's it's so fascinating. Um, let's get into some of the actual families and their lives and maybe, uh, or if you want uh, to tell about what really, what happened at the um, observance this past Wednesday, because unfortunately I was, you know, otherwise involved with my uh, my real job to have missed the details. So, can we talk about some of the, some of your peers, some of the other uh, victims that survived, and maybe those yeah. those that did not? Well, yeah, no, it was it was the, the town of Avon deserves credit for for organizing a um, remembrance ceremony uh, on the 10 year anniversary of the crash, which is what happened Wednesday morning uh, at around 7:30. The crash was actually at 7:38 a.m. and um, um, so the, the Avon Fire Department organized it and invited, um, you know, the families of the people who, who were killed and, um, and their fellow uh, fire and police uh, EMTs, first responders who were there the day of the crash. And uh, so it was a remembrance ceremony um, uh, to, 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 you know, honor the people who responded and, and, and the victims. And uh, it was, it was, was it like emotional. a vigil? I'm sorry, what was that question, Donna? Was it like a vigil? Uh, it had, you know, the trappings of a, of a you know, a, a somber ceremony there. The, the uh, uh, you know, the, the local uh, fire and, and police had, uh, you know, uh, they called, I forget, what, it was something there, the flag ceremony, number of flags. There was local clergy there, um, and, and they, they spoke and talked about the, the great job that our, our police, fire, and EMTs and, and, and other supporting agencies do um and uh there was a bagpiper who played amazing grace and um it was very moving and i i know bill farrell the, the brother of um maureen edlin who was killed in the crash he, he i saw his quote in the paper he said um that the ceremony helped him and he thought it was was a very good thing to do so i, I know that um you know the families were were glad so they that. were they were appreciative of it and they felt that it was effective and Re- reminded the the uh, the public in Connecticut, if, if but for a brief moment, that this was an important part of our history that we should remember with uh, respect. Yeah, I, absolutely, and and I think um, you know, as, as, as myself, my reaction, I, there were a number of things that particularly caught yeah. my eye when I first got there, um, just getting out of my car in the parking lot, heading over to the staging area, and. Um, Ellen Stotler, the wife of Chip Stotler, who was killed, had also just arrived. Um, and I, I alluded to her, to her daughters previously. They were ages uh, three to eight, five five daughters, um, ages three to eight, the day of the crash. So here, you know, fast forward 10 years, and I haven't seen them. And so here's Ellen and with these five beautiful young ladies who were all wow. grown up. Wow. And that was striking. I mean, I and it was... Um, you know, uh, they're, they're all. And they were all grown up, and you know, young ladies, and. Right, right, and then they looked fabulous, and and I, you know, there were there were tears and things like that because they love their daddy, um, and um, so, you know, it, it was it was 
emotional in, in a number of ways like that. And um, um, again, I give I give credit to the the town of Avon and the fire department for organizing it. And I think it was a good thing to do. Well, well, that's I, I'm glad that something was done, and perhaps we can we can talk a little bit if after we talk about the victims individually about the history. Do people respect Avon Mountain now better? Is it safer? And and what what is it about this mountain? Because I remember reading a lot of you know uh, of important history about the mountain itself. But can you can you tell us about some of the individual stories of? Of, of some of the victims? Yeah, well, we, you know, I we was just talking about the Stotler daughters. Um, um, their dad, uh, Chip, um, his, his his car was a super outback that was hit in such a way that it was flipped into the air, slammed into the uh, windshield of the commuter bus, and landed upside down. Um, and and Chip was, was trapped in his car for almost an hour. And, and, and so while all the other... Um, Injuries and, and situations had been taken care of during that hour. He, they, they were the rescuers were still working furiously to try to cut him out of his car. And um, and during that time, uh, a West Hartford police officer, Rob Mago, was able to actually crawl in and, and be with Chip. So that's an amazing wow. story. And we know that Chip was was lucid and he was talking about his family. And um, and Rob Rob Mago, the officer, was just amazed at how. Chip was concerned about Rob being there saying, hey, it's dangerous in here. You don't, I have to be here. I'm stuck. You know, get out of here. It's too dangerous for you. Um, so the two of them were just like these amazing, uh, courageous. They just, they bonded in the last, wasn't he like a special ed director at Crack? Yeah, and yeah he, Chip uh, was, Chip, right? Chip was just a, a very special guy. You know, again, you do the research and, 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 and so I never met Chip, uh, in person myself, but, you mentioned the name Chip Stoller to any of his friends, colleagues, family, and people light up. I mean, Chip obviously was a very special guy, just was one of these very positive energy guys. Uh, he just always brought a smile at people's face, always had this incredible positive energy. He was a special ed uh, teacher at the Jenger Center in West Hartford. He was apparently just absolutely outstanding with helping his students. They loved him. They adored him. I mean, he was just a great teacher. He was an outdoor adventure educator, big strapping guy always out there doing stuff. He was a carpenter. He, he, he just, just a, a good guy. And, and, and above all and beyond everything from what everyone tells me, he's just a very devoted husband and, and father and um, just a, a, just an outstanding human being. And, and I mean, his loss is, is just so profound. And, 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 you know, I, I just, uh, I, I often think, uh, you know, since the crash, it's like in, in any situation, it's like knowing the type of guy he was, where he would bring his positive energy to any little issue that arose in his life. Okay, what would Chip Chip, Chip Stotler do? Because he's he's that kind of positive force. Just the, right. The guy, you know. Yeah, um, and I could, yeah, and I, I mean, I could say similar things about all the all the people. I mean, Maureen Edlund and and Barbara Bongiovanni. There were uh, some uncanny ironies in, in their stories. They didn't know each other. They were both going to work that morning. Um, nine years earlier, they both lost their husbands to heart attacks. They both were left with uh, a child to raise on their own who, um, um, you know, they, they, as single mothers, they were completely devoted to, they were just reaching a point in their lives where they had a little more independence and were looking forward to, you know, enjoying their freedom and, and, and that sort of thing. And, um, uh, you know, it's just so sad that, um, um, you know, that, that, that those happy, that, that, that all, with all the hard work they had put into being 
you know, uh, devoted uh, moms and, and, and all the work they had done that they were reaching a point where they could really enjoy having a little more freedom and then their lives are cut short. So, um, you know, that, that was terrifically sad. Frank Juan, the, the, the driver of the bus was just, you know, a real character. He, he drove that bus for over four decades. I think he only missed five days of work. I'm a very hardworking guy, but a real character. I mean, he was, you know, the type of guy when people get on the bus, he'd give them, give them a little dig about whatever they're wearing. They'd give it right back to him and they, they would all <laughs> laugh. I mean, just a fun guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, his family, I never, I really, I, it's, it's I, I, difficult to, um, not sound too hyperbolic here, but I mean, his family was, is to this day remains so devoted to him. I mean, they loved their father, uh, Mrs. Juan, her husband. I mean, they, they, he was just the, the, you know, the, the life of that, that family. And, um, uh, they, they just uh, revered the guy. And, um, and- didn't he have uh, significant injuries and he was in rehab for physical, I mean, uh, you know, rehabilitation for a long time, but ultimately died of his injuries like a year, what, a year later or something? Yeah. Well, he, 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 he was, he broke his neck in the crash and they had to get him out of that okay. bus because they were worried that the bus was going to catch on fire. So, right. um, so that was probably a, a very delicate, difficult situation that, you know, they saved his life, but but he ended up being virtually paralyzed. So here's this very active guy, hardly ever misses a day at work, suddenly uh, virtually paralyzed, couldn't go to the bathroom by himself. A quadriplegic, yeah. Pretty much. And and so that, you know, he died two years later, and um, anyone who says uh, he died independently of that crash doesn't know what they're talking about. I, I always no. say the no crash way. had five five victims, not four. So, um, um, you know, Frank was... was was just uh, he was just a really good guy, and then then the last person I haven't talked about is the bus the, the truck driver um, Raheem Nafi, and um, you know Raheem had a, he was not a perfect human being none of us are he had some difficulties with the law, but he he you know he just turned his life around he was was absolutely on the right track he got this new job uh, driving for Wilcox it was only his second day on the job, and um, you know he died a horrible death and he didn't deserve that um, I. I I was really struck by um, his his dad. I, uh, when, when we, uh, when as the legal process was unfolding, we had one day I had to meet with the um, the prosecutor in Hartford, and uh, an older gentleman happens to he arrived a little late, and um, I just uh, I don't know I just I, we, nobody knew who he was at first. It turns out it was uh, Ralph Stokes, Raheem's father, uh, who had just uh, gotten off the train from Philadelphia, which means he got on that train around five o'clock in the morning. Was on a train for about four hours to get to Hartford to represent his son, and um, you know he, he loved his son, and he said Raheem was just a you know a good kid. He was a little bullheaded, and you know yes, he did get into trouble, but he always had a, a funny thing to say to everyone, and he was turning his life around, and, and his his family loved him, and um, um, you know he didn't deserve what happened to him that day. So uh, I, I I get a little irritated with people who blame him for the crash. It's you know they'll they'll say things like, well, he should have, uh, you know, he should have once he realized the brakes weren't working, uh, he should have pulled the truck off into the woods, which would have kind of been virtual suicide in a way. And and I you know I'd always say to people, well, that's fine, and maybe you would have been brave enough to do that, but just understand that that there were seven other truck drivers in that same situation over the past 20 years, and not one single one of them chose that option. They all they all tried to write it out because that's human nature. We 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 think we can we can get ourselves out of a difficult situation. And um, Mm -hmm. what happens with that, Mark, Um, with respect to a business like that, um, are they, are they assigned a certain truck per day? And, 
you know, or and you know, you got to drive here and you got to do this, and then they come back. Or how was that kind of a business run? And how did they get? You know, how did he happen to get assigned to that truck and the kinds of things that they were doing? I mean, I well, know I, it's I, I, I talk, a sleazy business, but yeah, I, I interviewed um, Leroy Pittman, who was a former uh, Hartford detective, who happened to give Raheem a ride to work that that morning. So we know what happened that morning. Um, and because uh, uh, Mr. Pittman explained that he, he was actually a little late in, in giving Raheem the ride, that Raheem was a few minutes late getting to the the, uh, the business there in Bloomfield, and Wilcox was waiting for him and um, uh, was, was angry because he was a little late and, and basically pointed, that's your truck. And um, um, so normally a truck, a truck driver, they're supposed to do an inspection of the truck um, it's unlikely that Raheem took the time to do that that morning. Uh, when Every day blood. before Apparently. they came in, they're supposed to inspect it? Apparently, yes. Uh, that's my understanding. Um, so, you know, the truck was already loaded. Wilcox has actually loaded it himself with all that broken up uh, construction debris and gravel and tree stumps and concrete foundation. Um, and, and the truck was supposed to go to a, a site on the top of Avon Mountain where they're building a, a new house and, you know, it was meant to elevate the site a little bit more for the foundation of the house, apparently. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, the, the trucks are assigned by the truck owner, and in this case with Wilcox, was already loaded and ready to go. And, and, and when Raheem got to the, the truck yard there, he just got right in it and took off. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that that's just incredible. Uh, that you know, if if but for a few, well, even if he had left earlier, ultimately the the truck would not have operated differently. It might have been, you know, other other victims by by the uh, the space and time of of um, you know a few minutes. But you know, it was like don't don't you agree? It was like the perfect storm that everything was set in place to for this to happen eventually. If yeah, well, yeah, the the, the truck, uh, the, after the crash, they obviously carefully inspected uh, the truck, and um, it was determined that it had 23 pre-crash violations, that the brakes were not working, that there were all trouble, kinds of trouble with the transmission and the flywheel uh, part of the of the thing. I, I mean, the truck was, was in terrible, terrible condition. And, and many drivers, well, it's at least several drivers, uh, you know, if you read the police interviews and you know, I, I quote some of them in the book, talked about how poorly the Wilcox trucks were maintained, that there were always problems with the brakes. That particular truck had steering issues as well. Um, those trucks were in terrible shape because they were not maintained properly. And, and um, you know, that's all on Wilcox. And it's also on the state, again, because here, here's a guy, a business owner with 1,100 safety violations, and the state bent over backwards to keep that guy on the road. I mean, they, they give him $1.6 million in in, in, in in contracts to uh, deliver sand and salt during the uh, bad months, and um, uh, and then they, our legislators handed the trucking industry that 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 gift of a, a loophole to help them avoid scrutiny when when you have an, a bad operator like Wilcox. So uh, the state of Connecticut was enabling him, um, and and the reason that truck was on the road that day was because there, there was a horribly irresponsible truck owner and a state that enabled him. Now, is that let the listeners know? Is that loophole closed? <laughs> yes, they they closed it uh, almost immediately after the crash. Go ahead, Delilah. Well, have there been any other changes in the trucking industry since this has happened? Any more stringent rules that they've set in place so that it doesn't happen again? 
Well, okay, they, they did close the loophole, so so that was good. And it was kind of an admission of guilt by the successors of those legislators who passed the loophole to begin with. Uh, so there's that. Um, certainly, uh, Avon, they, they, they increased uh, um, the, um, you the know, changes the changes in the road. Well, the changes in the road, yep. They added the, the uh, runaway truck ramp. Um, and then there's a, uh, they, they increased truck inspection. So um, uh, Officer Sue Casey uh, has done an outstanding job since the day of that crash. She was at the crash uh, that morning. She saw terrible things, and she, she, she committed herself that morning to doing whatever she could to, uh, to improve uh, road safety, especially as it relates to trucks. And she is a, a woman of her word, and uh, she has just done an outstanding job since the crash of uh, uh, carefully monitoring all these trucks that come down that mountain and drive through Avon. She, she pulls over a lot of them and puts a lot of them out, serv- out of service. And she, and after a careful inspection, she finds out what's wrong with them. So her job is to make sure people go home safe at the end of the day, including the truck drivers. So, um, but that's so not only in Avon, right? That's an, I've seen, because uh, our parking lot is off a highway and they almost think, I've seen state police pull trucks over in our lot where I work to inspect. So this is being done throughout the state is is it not yeah but you know it's uh, but it's, sporadically it's, yeah I, I think that's exactly the right word to describe it yeah <laughs> uh, yeah i i just can't imagine tell us what what is going on what was the legal process like and what what things took place legally well um yeah so uh it, it took a long time to finally um uh, Wilcox, uh, you know, w- was essentially, it was three or four years before the actual legal proceedings began, uh, three or four years after the crash. Um, and the, they decided they were going to break it up into two, two trials, one for insurance fraud and then the others for, the other trial would take on um, the manslaughter and assault charges for the people who were killed and injured. Uh, so the first trial was insurance fraud and uh, uh, the jury was hung. Uh, so uh, that that they was were a, awesome. yeah that was a travesty, yeah. uh, absolute travesty. Wilcox wow. had, had a very strong defense attorney, Ray Hassett, who did a very good job for him. Everyone who deals with insurance companies knows what the deal is. They bombard you with paperwork, and so if you get a skilled defense attorney, he could turn that paperwork into the most um, you know. Uh, <laughs> overwhelming blizzard of paper saying, how can any one person understand whether, you know, this policy is enforced or not enforced, et cetera, et cetera. Luckily, 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 uh, in this particular case, there was a very responsible jury foreman. Um, and um, I'm looking for his picture in the book right now. Uh, but, but, but I John have it here was, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, uh, uh, John Warren um, was just, thank God he was on that jury. Uh, there were six people on the jury and, and he, you know, he looked at Wilcox's situation and background and said, this, this guy has done this before. He's take, he's canceled the insurance on his truck before and then reinstated it later. He's, he knows what the deal is. He's not a dummy. Um, so, so John Warren had the proper level of skepticism as, you know, he was being, as the jury was being essentially bamboozled by the defense attorney. And so John was at least, at least able to be influential over two of the other members of that six-person jury. So it was, the jury was split three to convict, three to acquit. And, um, and then three, the, the three people who voted to acquit would not talk to me. I, I tried to interview them. They, they, they just said, well, you know, we're not, essentially they weren't going to talk to me. One was a teacher, one was a lawyer herself. I, I was just horrified that they, they were so bamboozled by an obviously, you know, very effective defense attorney. But 
Um, you know, yeah, that's I, really I unfortunate. But, mm-hmm. but the good news is that in the second try, and, and I, 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 as I look back at it, I say, God, if he actually got acquitted on that insurance fraud where he was clearly guilty, um, who knows what would have happened. But, but the second trial uh, started uh, shortly after that. That was the trial for the manslaughter and assault charges. And as part of the plea bargain that was eventually worked out, he, uh, Wilcox pleaded uh, guilty to all the manslaughter and assault charges, and then he pleaded no contest to the insurance fraud, which the state was prepared to try again. So he did ultimately, you know, admit that he, he, he uh, you know, he, by pleading no contest, uh, he, he was also guilty of that as well. So, um, uh, and that and was his part sentence? of the, Yeah, he was sentenced to. Uh, uh, ten years suspended after he served six. He actually only served four. Um, you know, I, 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 my, my, my statement to the judge that day was that, you know, um, I mean, one of the issues that the defense was raising was that, you know, he was he was an old man who was in poor health, and oh, it's please, like, please, please, yeah. Uh, and yeah, obviously the people who lost loved ones don't want to hear that. Um, but the, but but my main point to the judge was this is a guy who played Russian roulette with all of us by running his business in such a irresponsible way. It was just a matter of time before the worst happened, and the worst happened. And we need, as a society, to send, to send a strong message saying you cannot operate your business in such an irresponsible way. And the only way to send that message with with any amount of impact is to put this guy behind bars. And um, and so to Judge Gold's credit, he he did that. Um, so uh, you know, there's no joy in sending an old man to prison. Um, but, but, you know, we as a society have to be very strong and clear about, you know, that kind of, uh, behavior is just absolutely unacceptable and there's a price to be paid for it as a message to any other irresponsible, uh, business owners out there who might try to cut corners and, and get away with Wilcox tried to get away with. As part of that negotiation though, the one shred that I can say in Wilcox's favor is that, uh, his, his one request during that negotiation was that he didn't want his wife and son to go to prison. Um, and so that was part of the negotiation. And, um, and but they I think committed Dr. crimes as well. Yes, they right? did. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, and the fact of the matter is, is anyone who looked at this closely, yes, they did do some things that were illegal, but they were clearly taking orders from, from, from yeah. David. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, he was an intimidating, angry kind of guy. Uh, it's not an excuse to, for their behavior, but it's understandable how they ended up doing what they did. And, right. and so as part of the old overall negotiation process, uh, you know, I can't say that, I, you know, I'm, I'm okay with it, but I understand it. And, and, and that this, this is typical what happens in, you know, doing plea deals and that kind of thing. Right. So I, yeah. the, the most important thing was to make sure Wilcox spent time behind bars, a significant amount of time. I wish he would have served out his full six years, but, um, you know, it is what it is. And at least he was, he, he did spend significant time behind bars. Right. Well, what about, um, Mark, what about the human healing now, 10 years later, with regard to the to um, the victims who have maybe physically healed? But what what are they what are they doing now, and how are they doing? Um, and also inclusive of you, I, I'm curious as to I know that this changed you uh, changed your life, but I want to know first of all how how are they doing 10 years later? The people that have survived. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, I know some still have some physical issues um, and I really don't want to talk to them because I, I don't, you know, it's kind That's of That's fine. That's yeah. fine. But sort of in general, are they, are they moving on to other things? Have they become an advocate for 
um, you know, uh, travel safety? Are they are they getting involved in other things that would create a positive legacy after this? Well, um, I guess I can talk about um, one one uh, besides myself is uh, Eleanor Tomasi. She was um, she was trapped in her car and um, um, saved by um, by uh, uh, Todd Myers, who's a West Hartford cop and a, a, a Simsbury volunteer fire. Fighter, but Todd Myers is a hero. He he did amazing things at the at the base of that mountain to save people, and and, and his heroism is just amazing. He's a very humble guy, and you know when you talk to him, he, he doesn't want to talk about what he did. He wants to talk about you know the fact that he wasn't able to save the truck driver. No one would have been able to save that truck driver. The, the truck was engulfed in flames. So, but that's the kind of guy Todd Myers is. He's just an incredible person. Um, but um, he was able to save Elena. Um, she was she was trapped in her car. The car caught on fire. Um, Dr. Kurtzman got there um, while Todd was trying to pull her out. They couldn't get at the seatbelt release button. Turns out Todd always, as a matter of habit, carries a, uh, uh, a utility knife. So he, he remembered that in time, flipped it to Dr. Kurtzman, who cut the seatbelt, and Todd yanked Elena with everything he had at the last second out of that car and saved her life. Wow. Um, That's yeah. incredible. And Eleanor is just she's she's a she's a terrific person. I mean, she emigrated from um, Belarus. Uh, she's she's a dentist, and uh, she wanted to come to the United States um, to get away from uh, corruption <laughs> and some of the bad things. So it's ironic, uh, yeah, right. Uh, um, but uh, but I saw her at the remembrance ceremony um, uh, on Wednesday morning. She looks great, um, and and I know she she speaks up whenever she can, and and and. Um, uh, it's, it was great to see her and, and looking so healthy and, and happy. So um, um, she's, she's doing well. Um, and then my situation, you know, I, 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 the fact that I have aches and pains at this stage in my life, I'm 59 years old, I consider that a, a welcome thing. <laughs> you, yeah, you're alive. You're living a season. That's exactly right. So, uh, you know, if any of this stuff really, you know, I broke uh, six ribs, two vertebrae in my arm, and I had to puncture it long. Um, I had outstanding care at the scene of the crash. The, the people who helped me, um, you know, get out of the car and then uh, get onto the helicopter and then the docs and the nurses and, and the technicians who took care of me after that. I, I am so lucky. I got the best of care. Um, any aches and pains I have today, uh, you know, maybe they're related to the crash. Maybe it's just getting old. Either way, I'm, I'm fine with it. I'm, I'm alive. And I'm very grateful. And uh, I don't have a thing to complain about. Well, I I somehow knew that you would have that attitude. Um, you're talking to a homicide survivor, but also a person with over 50 surgeries, and 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 that's what I say too. It's like, you know, we're still here. We're and we're here to do positive things for other people as well. But um, I don't want to forget, and I also have a question for Delilah. But I don't want to forget. Um, can you please tell us so that people can. Um, read this book and and the rich details of the people's lives. Tell us information about how to get the book and the purchase of the book. And do do people do, do proceeds from this still go to the families? Yes, the, the proceeds, all, all the all the profits from the book go to the the families who lost loved ones. Um, um, so that's still uh, in effect. I mean, I, I did scale this whole thing back. I mean, the book came out. Uh, whatever about five years ago, and, and you know we initially sold four or five thousand copies. Um, 
so there's still been a little interest since then. Uh, we've, you know, the, we've kind of like scaled back the operation a little bit. So now if people want a copy, um, they can go to the book's website, which is smokefireandangels.com. Um, and, and there's a, a button to uh, click as for, uh, how to order a book, which is essentially just um, sending me a check um, uh, for the book, and then I will mail out a copy to the person who um, sends me the check. So, and yeah, the money still goes into a fund uh, called the Avon Mountain Angels Fund. And, um, and then again, I've already sold most of the books that, that we had printed, and, and that money has already been dispersed. But, you know, uh, there's still some books left, and I'm happy to get them out there and, and continue uh, passing the money along. But would they be also in, in libraries in Connecticut? Yeah, we've donated a whole bunch of them, and I can't I can't remember offhand um, which ones, but certainly in the certainly uh, Avon, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and in, in, anywhere in the Farmington Valley or the Greater Hartford area. I I, I spoke at, at at a lot of these um, you know civic groups, and, and we donated a lot of books along the way. So uh, there certainly should be copies out there. Well, that's that's wonderful, and um, I also well we have about six minutes or so. But Delilah, I just want to ask you in in listening to to uh, this conversation, what what in particular comes to mind? I mean, you've heard many, many tragic stories in your time in dealing with, with all of us who have, have dealt with, you know, um, tragedies. What what struck you in particular for this story? Anything? Oh, yeah. I think, you know, with, with the, the way the conversation has gone and learning about, um, you know, what happened and, and the aftermath of all of it, it just... It gives, it shines the light on the resiliency of, of the human race, actually, that we can come through these horrible, horrible events and still um, go on. It, it To me, that's just amazing that we are very resilient um, people, and especially the ones who um, survived this uh, to, yeah. you know, to always have that nightmare coming back to them, but still able to make something positive out of it, as Mark has done um, in writing the book and, and bringing the message to other people that this this can happen and there's no way to prepare for it. Right. Yeah. In, in living where you do in Myrtle Beach with, you know, roads just going east and west and nowhere to go. And since, I met, you know, there's been many, many traffic uh fatalities where you live too i can imagine you, you probably thought of ones that happened there locally but i really think you've done an amazing job um with this mark and just wondering if um what is there if you had your druthers mark what what is there left to do should we be should we be pressing the legislature for more laws should we be pressing for for more safety with regard to construction on the on the mountain should we be uh, trying to raise more funds for these families what should be happening now yeah it's a good question um um i i think well a couple things i i think that um um you know we we have to hold our legislators accountable for what they do you know and if you talk to these guys they'll tell you well, you know, they had these provisions on at the last second in these massive spending bills or, you know, legislative right. uh, bills, and we don't even know what we're signing. And they say it as if we're stuck with that. It's like, really? Uh, that That's the best we can do? We, 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 you know, we're, 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 we're at the mercy of a few uh, power brokers who can uh, wheel and deal and, and, and 
tack these uh, provisions onto a massive bill that no one's really going to have a chance to scrutinize and do that at the ele- beyond the 11th hour uh, with all sorts of pressure, and, and that's the best we can do. Um, you know, that, that just seems unacceptable to me. So um, me our too. legislators need to be held to account. And, and so for the, for the legislators who sign off on that, um, that loophole without realizing it, um, you know, they, they should... Shame on you. <laughs> yeah, they, they should be pushing for a better way to, to, uh, to, to conduct business because that's just not right. Um, I think um, all of us uh, who get in a car every day, you know, it's like when, it, it takes time to, to correct things. Like, for instance, putting a runaway truck ramp on, on Avon Mountain, which, you know, they finally did, which is a good thing. But we can make all the road safety improvements in the world, and if we drive like crazy people, we're still going to have terrible accidents. So it's on all of us to, when we get behind the wheel of a car, to drive, you know, more safely. Um, and then I, I, you know, I, I, I'm so, I was so moved by the response of, um, uh, of, of first responders and passersby the day of the Avon Mountain crash. Um, you know, 300 people descended on, on the scene of that crash that day to help us, to help people like me. And uh, I'm just so indebted to, to those people. And, and so to the firemen, the, the police, the EMTs, uh, all the support people, um, I, I just, you know, I, I'm very grateful. And, 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 and in particular, someone like a, a passerby, like uh, I always talk about LaShawn Hooks. She was uh, on her way from Hartford to her uh, job in Avon. She's coming down the mountain. This horrible scene unfolds before her. She pulls her car over. Some jerk behind her starts honking his horn. Like, where's he going to go? <laughs> where's oh. he going to go? You know, meanwhile, right. LaShawn gets out of her car, walks over to the crash scene, and for the next six hours, she handed out water. She helped Dr. Kurtzman uh, reset a horribly broken arm. She called uh, numerous families to let them know that their loved one was 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 hurt and uh, you know went to X hospital or Y mm-hmm. hospital. This is just a a, a, this, a, a good you know, Samaritan doing what uh, they need to do, right? Right, and and so you you know you read about these people who did that that day, and it's like it does restore your faith in humanity. Yes, there are bad people out there, but for every bad person, there's ten good people, and and that's 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 a good message, you know, and and that's what happened with the Avon Mountain crash. And a lot of good people, you know, they, they responded to the better angels of their nature and they were there to help. And I, I am tremendously grateful for what they did. Yeah, well, I think that's that's a, a really fine example of you know the, the the good that that comes out of that. And we, you know, as a as a as a state, I think we are resilient because I hearken back to things like. You know, look what happened with, with, with Sandy Hook and all of these. And I know, you know, we're typically an affluent state. I mean, in, in some areas, we're very poor. But when massive tragedy happens, we we do respond. And uh, we, we can go on. I mean, you know, I'm an, I'm an example as a homicide survivor. But I'm just so proud to have, you know, come across you, Mark, and met you. And I hope that we can can still um, keep in touch because you're part of the Shattered Life family now, and perhaps we can do another project down the line. Um, and we, we want to keep this in the forefront. We will continue to um, have this show posted as well as my blog, and we don't want people to forget about it. So I think, Delilah, you would you would agree that this is something that needs to stay in people's consciousness, and it is about aftermath of crime, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like I said before, this is this is something that you it's not like a hurricane or a tornado where you can prepare ahead of time. You ne- you never know when it's going to happen. You can't prepare and it it happens. 
and you know you have to learn how to deal with it which i think is the crux of of what we talked about today is how this was all dealt with from surviving family members and uh, and survivors of the crash as well Definitely. So I, I think hopefully we've done a, a service to the residents of Connecticut and to the victims. And Mark, thank you so much. So please do keep in touch with us. Hopefully you can circulate our information. And we're going to close out the show now today for our, our Shattered Lights edition. So please stay tuned for another um, very uh, good show we have planned for next week. Thank you, Mark. We really appreciate it. And the best of luck to you. Thank you, uh, Donna and Delilah. Thanks for all the great work you guys do. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. You're welcome. We'll talk to you later. Take uh, care. And, okay, and, and good evening, everyone. We'll see you on the radio next week.